Chapter 18. You'll all turn there as you remain standing just for a few more moments for the reading of God's Word. Yes, indeed. Matthew 18. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture, but I'm going to, I got a twist. And it um, came to me on this Scripture. Pretty interesting to me, anyway, maybe. But um, you all have it, Matthew 18, 15. We're going to read down through to, to uh, verse 17. I'm reading on the NIV. If your brother sins against you, in some translations, trespasses, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Nobody, even then, they didn't like the IRS. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you, and we're always careful to give the honor and the glory. I ask, God, that you administer to your people and, and reveal to us what you're trying to tell us through this story. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you touch every heart and make every person's call sure. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Go ahead and take your chairs. And when you read this, or we can say, we can safely say this: arguing with individuals is not a godly trait, right? And I see that's okay. But see, when I look at things, I would look at scriptures in a little abstract way. I refuse to believe that God's intent here, well, let me say like this, I don't think God is trying to make well-behaved people. I mean, that's okay, but that's not his, his purpose for the scripture. You know, it's like God in heaven, you know, I want to have all my people, and you know, all my people need to behave. I just don't see that being a part of why God would do what he'd do. There's got to be a reason behind this. So this verse gives us uh, the God responds to a disagreement. Why would the Lord provide us a formula? He actually gives a formula to solve personality problems. So I have all these questions running through my mind, and I, as I, my, my habit, I, I do a lot of research and reading, and. A woman by the name of Karen Kaplan wrote uh, recently in the LA Times that, that fight with friends, family, is hazardous to one's health. People who fell into this category of arguing were 2.6 times more likely to die prematurely than people who can get along with other people. Two and a half times greater chance of dying sooner. Worst of all were the persistent fights with neighbors. These type of argument of people were more than three times more likely to die prematurely. Oh, so if you like arguing, welcome, you're going to die sooner than the person you're arguing with. Hallelujah. That's what she's saying. People who always or often fretted about their spouse were almost twice as likely to die compared to those who seldom fretted. In addition, compared to those who didn't worry about their kids, anybody worry about your kids too much? Those who expended a lot of mental energy 
on their children were 55% more likely to die prematurely. So, to worry and war against you know, someone or about someone really is a waste of time or will waste your time on earth. That was studied physiologically through medical research. Interesting. So then I asked myself, I'm thinking about this, so we can safely say that this type of behavior, or can we ask ourselves, is this type of behavior spirit-led? Because you know, you get these holy people that want to argue about everything. If, if God wanted you to die sooner, I guess he would make you argue more, apparently. So I don't think that's his intent. So we can say that this type of behavior is not spirit-led, right or wrong. So the best way and the only way to avoid an argument is when one follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. To avoid an argument. Galatians 5, 16 is very, another portion of scripture. It says, I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature does not does what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not want to do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, say led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So if you're so now I see the reason, the biological reason. When you are arguing all the time, you're clearly not led by the spirit. Ah, so if you're not led by the Spirit, then what are you under when you argue? The law. So now when you argue, people can judge you. Oh, don't judge me, then stop arguing. Because when you argue, you, you put yourself under the law and receive judgment. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So I'm amazed by some people who state, they state this, I have a hard time with people. Anybody ever state that? Come on now, everybody should raise your hand. Personality is no excuse for sin. God, his, his goal, one goal, is to give us a long, healthy life. How many don't believe that? I want a healthy, long life. I don't want a healthy life, I want a healthy, long life. I mean, I want to be old, old, right? Now researchers also say that personality, because some people, you just can't get along because of their personality, right? Personality has been shown to influence social relationships and mortality. Not just relationships, but how long you will live. Your personality, amazing. People with disagreeable personalities are likely to have more stress in their lives. Stress prompts the body to make molecules like cortisol and pro-inflammatory pro cytokines that make a people, a person, sick. Biological. No getting around it. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, now I see something here. See, God wants us to live a long life, which is the purpose of the scripture. Not so that you're well-behaved, because he wants you to live long. And if he had to call in your life, it would be to his advantage to give you the calling and keep your long, life long. So in other words, he's trying to say, stop arguing because it kills you. So if you have an argument, this is how you take care of it. What, what do you do? You, and, and that scripture we opened up, 
gave us the formula, if you will, of how to handle argument so that it doesn't hurt you. Because these things we know now, we didn't know then, or Jesus knew it, but the people didn't know it. We know it now that this type of behavior will, will shorten your lifespan. Interesting. So then I read 1 John 5, 16. Now check this one out. Because he wants us to live, remember God wants us to live how long? Long. John 5, 16, 1 John 5, 16 reads, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Now keep reading. It gets really interesting. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Then he lays it on us. There is a sin that leads to death. Keep reading. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. So there's certain sins, we don't know what they are, and God never describes them. But we do know they're out there. There are sins that lead to death. Verse 17, all wrongdoing, now he goes, all wrongdoing is sin. There is sin that does not lead to death. So you know, people say, well, sin is sin, yes, but there are sin, and for you, that sin to death may be different than that person's sin that's unto death. But everybody, listen, the Bible is clear. There is one. What is it? We are not sure. But I do know this, by research, that those who argue too much die quicker. Amazing. Could there be a confluence? Could there be a joining here? See, 1 John 5, 16 implied that there is a sin that leads to death. So, so far, up to this point, we're talking about two types of sin. A sin against you. Remember, he said, if there is a brother or a sister who sins against you, this is what you do. But then there also is a sin that leads to death. Let's keep reading. Well, let me put it this way. Scripturally and scientifically, we can deduce that bad behavior can kill you. Now, the most remarkable incident of this kind is in the Corinthian church. Corinthian church were much like the people day to day. They, 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 they were partying, drugging, having sex, didn't care about God, living their own life, had their idols, and they were a really wretched people. Right? And Paul is dealing with these people, very hard to deal with because they were tied up in a lot of mysticism and witchcraft and drugs. You know, sounds like United States. Wickedness, sickness, sickliness, and death were the three forms of chastisement that God brought to the Corinthian church. The passage shows the true meaning of 1 John 5.16. The sin unto death is a sin such as God chastises by the infliction of disease and death. Again, what this sin is, we do not know. Each of us, if we test God though, we do know this, is subject to being dealt with. Correct? Can I say that? Is that easy to say? What am I trying to get at? I'm not trying to scare you. No, 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 no. I'm trying to educate you. Education. The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not destroyed for too much knowledge. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Check this out. He goes, that is why it's Paul writing the church. They're fighting, bickering, arguing. He goes, that is, and you can read the whole story if you want to, for the sake of time, you can't read the whole Bible, the whole book of 1 Corinthians. He says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. 
that word in the, it really have died. But if we judge ourselves, here's the good news. He said, but, say, but, if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment or that type of judgment, that type of dealing. So no, God is saying, look, stop, behave, look at yourself, forget about your brother, don't worry about your sister. Judge yourself so that you don't bring yourself under the law. Because when you're under law, there's no more grace. Right? And we want to be in the grace place. Amen? I like the Message Bible, which is another translation, reads like this. The very same scripture reads like this. That is why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick. And others have gone to an early grave. We can easily say this. We are not sinless. Anybody raise your hand who's, who's, who's never committed a sin? Raise your hand. Just like I thought. I don't know, I'm pretty smart on that one. I knew I would get that answer right. We're not sinless. Can we say that? To the Greek word in the opening scripture, if a brother commits a trespass against you, that word if reveals that this situation is likely to occur. And it should have been translated, it would have been like this, when a brother offends you. Because that's the true meaning of the word. So he said, when somebody offends you, uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that you're gonna get offended. Let me put it like this. Don't live in a dream world thinking that your brother in Christ is so perfect that he will never do anything to offend you. Okay, if you're there, wake up! <laughs> right? Because if you have that understanding, when somebody offends you, it won't offend you. In other words, you'll expect it. Because I'm going to let you in on something. You will be offended. Remember that you are not sinless, so you cannot expect others to be sinless. So when a brother offends you, the verb trespass in Matthew 18, 15 indicates not a life of sin, but a single act. When the brother does something to you, when the sister does something to you, that single act, not a continual, continuing lifestyle, but when they do that single act, it basically means this in this scripture, when he misses the mark. You see, we set marks for people, right? When you get married, you set a mark for your husband and for your wife. And when they don't meet that mark, they sin. What they have done when they miss that mark, they have offended you. If you've been married more than four hours, you've been offended. If not, right now, I offended you. Amen? So what happens when you miss the mark, you don't measure up to the expectation that you set. This happens because most people don't know what you expect. I mean, when you're, you're around and, and I don't know, you know, and Amy offends me, she may not even know she offended me because she doesn't know what to expect, but she did something and it offended me. And I don't say nothing. You know how we do it? Well, I just cut her loose. Oh, no. Because if you cut them loose, are you following the Spirit of God? You're saying... 
God will cut her loose. Oh, really? No, listen, and when you have that mindset, when you cut her loose, God is doing the same thing to you. Because why? You're out of grace, and now you're under the law. You want to cut people loose? Go ahead with your bad self. No, no, no. He goes, when you're offended, this is what you do. Why? Because he has a call on your life, and he wants you to live a long life. Right? So we need empathy. Empathy is a great word. Empathy is a potential motivator for helping others in distress. Right? So let, let me say this too. We must meet our own aim. Right? right we'll say like this. We can meet our own aim. Right? But most often, we miss the goals that others set for us. Correct? We have our mark. We know what we can do. Well, the only time we ever get in an argument is when we don't do what others think we should do. Correct? So let's get back to empathy. Empathy can be defined as the ability to feel or imagine another person's emotional experience. You're feeling it. I can feel you. Right? I can see you, man. I got you. Because you have empathy. Now, God uses our ability to empathize, and this is the crux of why God gave us the scripture. Not to improve our behavior, not to make us better behaved and well-controlled and well-mannered. No, no, no. The reason why God gave us this scripture is to improve our discernment. So discernment is part of his goal, part of the process of what we're learning and working on. So when we see wrong in others and empathize, rather than attack, we become more aware of our issues. Somebody does something wrong, and you you don't get mad. You, you kind of an empathy is not feeling sorry because that's not that type of emotion. But you're trying to understand. You're trying to see the picture from their angle. And when you see the picture from their angle, all of a sudden, sometimes their angle will let you see you. So you can't see you from your angle because you're seeing them, and they're just getting you mad. But then also empathize. Why? Because God wants to improve your discernment. So you look at them and their anger and you miss the mark. You go, what's happening here? What did I do? And you're thinking about them, you're thinking about them, and you're changing your angle. And all of a sudden God puts you into their shoes. You turn around, then you look at you. And you go, oh, that's how they see me. Whoa, that's heavy. I never noticed that about me. Why well, now God is leading you by the Spirit. A little different, huh? We don't like being led by the Spirit. We like leading by the flesh because we want to give people a piece of our mind. Show them who they do. You know who I am? Cross that line. Go ahead, cross that line. That, that, that's how we respond, right? Hmm. So, conversely, the other side, when you fail to cover a multitude of faults, you devoid yourself of the power to change your life. So, think about that. You want to see and improve yourself, but when you don't want to see yourself, and when people do you wrong, and you just get on them, you devoid yourself of covering fault. The Bible says, love covers a multitude of what? Sin, missing the mark. A multitude of missing the mark. A multitude, and you may need that multitude if you're married on one day. How long have you been One day. And how, how much, how, how often have you forgiven him? A multitude. <laughs> yeah, right? 
Right, but, but when you're doing that, see, and if you fail to do that, and you don't cover a multitude of faults, listen, when you don't cover a multitude of faults, and you're angry, you, you devoid yourself of the power to change your life. How could you change your life when you're mad at everybody? How can you change your life when you're following after the flesh, not after the spirit? Do you see the picture now? See, interestingly, it's very interesting. Psychologists write that the ability to empathize with others' distress is an important factor in learning right from wrong. So here I am, I'm giving you the spiritual and the scientific. Even psychologists have proven that, that when people empathize, they improve their discernment of right and wrong. So, the reason why God gave us the scripture in this formula is to improve your ability to improve yourself. See, an offense from a brother or a sister is meant to make you better. Isn't that strange? It, an offense, when somebody offends you, it, it's made to make you look at yourself. You become better. And the more you're offended, because normally you're offended right away. And after a while, you've been walking with the Lord a while, you've been offended about a hundred times. That early offense that offends you in the beginning just doesn't offend you no more. Why? Has anything changed? The only thing that has changed is you. Because now that offense don't bother you. It used to bother you when you first got The first day you got to say, hey, what you looking at, Jack? I'll slap you silly. Right? Now you've been saved a little while and you're cool with it. Oh, you're looking, oh, he's looking at me. Oh, right, because now you're looking through their eyes. What are they seeing? And now you're not offended. The situation hasn't changed. The mark hasn't changed. You've changed. You're getting better and better at seeing yourself. Right? See, it, it is, well, let's put it, if the most efficient way to see a counterfeit is only to look at the real thing, Right, that's a fact. You know, you go to FBI, FBI training, and they want you to be able to deduce a $100 bill, a real one, from a fake one. The way they do it, they never let you touch a fake. Never. Don't touch a fake. Only touch the real. Why? Because if you're used to touching the real, used to touching the real, when you touch a fake, you go, that's something wrong with that. Because you're so used to seeing the real. Right? Well, see, that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to make you real. And the only way to make you real is to get all the fake out of you. And the only way to get all the fake out of you is to bring somebody like you next to you. Oh my goodness. So, not, so when your homeboy offends you, when your sister offends you, when your mama offends you, when your uncle offends you, when the teacher offends you, oh, when Obama offends you. Mm -hmm. Huh? See, the only way to improve us is to allow an offense to expose your weakness. Because you can act cool. You know, everybody act cool. Like you, they're in the home. They're all cool. First couple of days. It's all right. Hang around. You'll get offended. And then we'll say the real you, if you're a punk or not. Well, no. And they say, oh, we got another punk. Got to work on him because God's got to change that punk into a man of God. That's how it works, Holmes. 
Right? And he'll do it. He does it in the church. He does it all the time. His goal is to change people. Why? So they can see the devil themselves. Or so they can distinguish good and evil from God. See, the enemy of God is good and evil. Well, see, weakness can be defined very simply as a blind spot. You ever heard of the term blind spot? In football, you have a blind, you know, you have the blind spot, the quarterback. Drop back the pass, boom, gets hit. And then why? He gets hit by a big old defensive lineman in the back, his blind spot, and why didn't he duck and move? Because he didn't see him. It was a blind spot. Right? Reminds me of a story. After World War II, a general and his young lieutenant were traveling by train in England. When they boarded, the only seats left were across from a beautiful young lady and her grandmother. But this woman was stunning, the young lady. And the soldiers sat facing the ladies. As the train pulled out, it went through a long tunnel. For about 10 seconds, there was total darkness, pitch black, couldn't see yourself in front of you. In the silence of the moment, the train's passengers heard two unmistakable sounds, a kiss and a slap. Everyone on the train had their own perception of what had happened, because it was dark. The young lady thought to herself, I'm flattered that the lieutenant kissed me, but I'm terribly embarrassed that my grandmother hit him. Well, the grandmother thought, I'm aggravated that he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm proud she had the courage to retaliate. The general wondered, my lieutenant showed guts to kiss that girl, but why did she slap me by mistake? The lieutenant was the only one who knew what had happened. For in the brief, brief moment of darkness, he had seized the opportunity to both kiss the pretty girl and slap his general. <laughs> it's a blind spot. See, in the dark, you can't see what's happening. See, in your blind spot, with your personal blind spot, you're in the dark. Hello? Blind spots are, are the areas where we're in the dark about ourselves. We're oblivious to our blind spots. Blind spots, re re they wreak havoc on relationships. Blind spots define an area in the lives of people in which they continually do not see themselves or their situation realistically. This unawareness causes great damage to the people and those around them. Blind spots. See, and we all have a blind spot, and I have to do something. The people that are most egregious, the people that like to argue the most, tend to have the most blind spots. And I'm going to tell you, I boil down the blind spot to one thing. Insecurity. Insecurity. Personal insecurity is the most widespread blind spot. Insecurity causes a person to think selfishly when the very essence of our relationship with Jesus is a focus on others. Their blind spot will make them look just for themselves. Insecure people place family and friends in jeopardy, put organization in peril, and even endanger themselves. Telltale behavioral signs of insecurity. Insecure people have a hard time giving credit to others. They're, they're empty inside, and as such, they're constantly seeking affirmation. Tell me I feel good. Do you love me? Make you feel better. I want to feel good. How come you don't like me? Well, you're looking, why are you looking at me? And when they don't receive these affirmation or the things that want to ease their insecurity, they get angry. Bottom line. Insecure people are needy people. 
The second symptom of insecure person is the habit of withholding information. The communication can be a form of empowerment, but insecure people conceal it to gain control. I know something about you. So you better, if you ever know something about me, but not say nothing. I know. I know. I, you, you got, I know. So don't snitch. You ever meet something like that? Insecure. Ooh, boy. Not that we know anybody. I mean, let's be clear. We don't got nobody like that in here, right? Shoot. Maybe some other church, not ours. But I have known some people who may even leverage their information to manipulate others. See, by releasing information, you, de you demonstrate trust and confidence, whereas withholding is a sign of fear and insecurity. So I tell people, you need to care. Don't despair. So we do not have the right to pry into people's lives to find a reason to correct them. And I think that's where the arguments come in place. As if all of a sudden the Holy Ghost is dead. Right? The Holy Ghost is not around. So we are, we are not obliged to be the Holy Spirit and to find what's wrong with people. What you up to? What you up to, Sam? How come you're over there? Why were you there? Why are you really here in Colorado Springs? Oh, well, what, Mike? 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 I know. What are you up to? You're sneaking around? I know. Why? Because you are you. And some people think it's their, their, their call on earth to do that. If, if you're in this church, let me let you in, in, in on something. You'll be stupid. But continue reading for... With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you measure, you shall shall be measured unto you. Oh, you want to look at people? You got it coming back at you. Everything you do is coming back. Huh? So no one has the right to be a self-appointed judge of others. The commandment, judge not, is in the present tense. Meaning, while something is happening, this is what it means. Now, don't, don't confuse it, but don't make a judgment. No, no. While something is happening, that move is a, is a present tense verb. While a situation is happening, don't judge. That's what it says. Why? Because in the heat of situations, our judgment is skewed by our emotion. Because very few people can keep their emotions in check, so they allow their emotions to make all the decisions for them. Then they open their mouth, and when the emotion comes down, what do we say? Me and my big mouth. Why? So he's saying, while the situation happened, withhold judgment. Now that's very hard to do because we are prejudicial people. People are prejudiced. We always make judgments. We always judge. Right? What has happened? Oh, I know. Oh, but I know the brother. You, I know the brother. You don't know. Nobody knows. And if you do know, shut up. If you know something wrong, I read the formula. If you know something about the brethren, then why haven't you taken care of it the way God says? If you haven't taken, away the, the, taken care of it the way God says, then everything you're doing now is under the power of the flesh. You're not being led by the Spirit. And see, God's intent is to teach us to be led by the Spirit. Why? Because He has a call in your life, and He wants you to live a long life. When you don't do it, you shorten yourself. We've discussed that already. So, 
Well, something's happening, don't make a judgment. Christ teaches in Matthew 18 15 that if you are offended because of your brother or sister fails to meet your standard in something, you should go to him or to her. This only involves, again, this only involves something personal, as indicated by the phrase, against you. If he does it against who? You. Now, this is what happens. He don't do it against you, but he did it against my homeboy. And because he did it against my homeboy, well, I'll show him. No, wait a minute. That, that's never a reason. The only time you're to do that is when it's mano a mano against you. If somebody did something against your brother, then your brother better take care of it and talk to the person. You stay out of it because you just don't know what's going on, even though you think you know. Be led by the what? By the Spirit. Right? See, it does not say that you should take up a cause against someone or someone else. It must be something which affects you and you alone. Right? Now, your brother, this is, this is the, the sad part, and I've seen it. In the past, I've seen it. Your brother who offended you may be totally unconscious of the thing he's done to disappoint you. Why? Because just he just might have a blind spot. And he's not aware that what he's doing is offending you or offending her. He may not be aware because we all have blind spots. We don't know what the blind spot is. But let's say he has a blind spot and you're all mad and you want to deal with him. He looks at you like, what's your trip? What did I do? What do you mean what you did? You don't know what you No, I don't know what I did. If I knew what I did, I wouldn't do it maybe. Well, see, people are fighting over insecurities and blind spots. And all you're doing is allowing the enemy to have his way. Because if we don't stop that behavior, we've read that it'll affect your health, both spiritually and physically. Huh? So the injured person must go to the one who offended him. Let it be a private matter. Instead of telling others, some people, they get offended, they want to put an ad in the Gazette. No, let it be a private matter. And go and reprove the person. Talk to them. That verb means to rebuke or reprove. This indicates a once and for all action. It implies that the brother is in the wrong for whatever he did against his brother. But first pray to be sure he or she is wrong. Right? And if you do that, you will get better at this. What I'm talking about over time. Does it happen right away? No. But you have to get better at it. Because some people... Like drama. You ever know those drama people? Just, they like live from drama to drama. That's where they get the, the, the word drama queen. It used to be drama queen, but now we got kings. And in this generation, sometimes you don't know if it's a king or a queen. You know what I'm saying? They're, today they self-identify as a king. Tomorrow they self-identify as a queen. What's a crazy world we live in right now. What's up with this, Jack? When we got ISIS and all this stuff, and we're worried about what kind of bathroom we're going to use, what kind of country are we in? Are you kidding me? But let's, let's get back here. Hmm? To the purpose of going to him, and, and, and let's talk about this. You get better over time, but you got to understand the purpose. It's not to prove you wrong or prove you right. Or it's not to show them. No, the purpose of going to the other person is to win him. So our posture should be a positive one, a helpful one, uh, an encouraging one, uh, not, not a, I'll get you. No, no, no. The purpose is not to correct. Ah. No, 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 it's not to correct. 
You can tell you're not in the spirit if you all you want to do is to correct the other person. That is not spirit-led. The spirit wants to win another over. The spirit wants to make another disciple. The spirit wants that person who's offended to fulfill their calling. The spirit wants that person to live a long, prosperous life, to have children that will, that will call his wife blessed or her husband blessed. That's, that's what the spirit wants, not to correct them. We want to correct. The spirit wants to empower. Mm. To the wrong, what happens? The purpose, remember I talked about earlier, the purpose is to improve our discernment. I'm coming in for landing, I'm pretty sure, almost. Give me five more minutes. The, the, the spirit, or, right, is to improve discernment. In other words, we want to be able to distinguish right and wrong, God from good and evil. We want to, we want to be able to improve our discernment, right? So the wrong has stirred up the old man when you're done wrong. If you're young in the Lord, what it does, it stirs up the old man, doesn't it? Like the old man, the old you, like, oh, I'll make misbeat out of that mouse. I mean, you get all mad, right? Stirs it up. For your safety, the sinful desires of the old man must be put to death, right? So God stirs the old man so that you can see he's still alive and he's still kicking in you. You need to kill that fool. Because some of you think you're all holy, but the old man rises up and reminds you that you're not that holy. Right? So God uses an offense so that you can recognize you're in danger. When you see the old man, that should be warning, warning, Dr. Smith. You're in danger, Jack, because that old man's alive and kicking. And that old man will ruin your calling. That old man will destroy your relationship. That old man will ruin everything that you've ever dreamed about. That old man. So he rises up. He's still there. He's still alive. What danger? Romans 1, 24 and 5 reads like this. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, degrading their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. That danger. See, this conflict has put pressure, not only has it stirred up the old man, but it has put pressure on your faith, the conflict. Faith. Ah, here's where we get to the jucks, the crust of the whole message. Iron. Let's all turn to Psalms 27, 17. That'll give you time to drink, to drink water. And I'm going to end with this because this is my last page. Half a page. It even says, conclude after this. That conflict put pressure on your faith. Now, Psalms 27, a very familiar portion of Scripture, is verse 17. And it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, we read that, and most of the time, people quote that by itself. But as I begin to look at Psalms, I mean, Proverbs 27, I found that the, ver the, 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 the phrases came in pairs. One, verse 1 and 2 was together. Verse 3 and 4 was together. Verse 5 and 6 were together. I go, wow. But when you got down to verse 17, 17 and 18 are together. So it brought a different meaning to this for me and hopefully for you. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. Now, how in the heck do these two get together? Uh, the 
iron sharpening iron equals to your brother's sin against you. Iron sharpening iron. The sharpening is an expected occurrence. It must happen. In fact, sharpening is good. Who likes a dull knife? Nobody likes a dull knife. If you work in carpet, it's your enemy. Right? You work in sheetrock, throw it away. If you're cutting tomato, you better have a sharp knife, otherwise you're gonna have spaghetti sauce. Then it says, he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. Equates to go and show him his fault, and if he listens, you have won over your brother. Jesus appeared to a fig tree one time, and the fig tree was out of season. He went to the, went to the fig tree, and he looked at the fig tree, he goes, because he wanted a fig. He said, man, you dumb fig tree, you ain't got no figs? He didn't say dumb, I said dumb. He goes, no figs? Curse it. And the guy said, whoa, 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 what up, Jesus? Wait, 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 Jesus. Don't curse that fig tree. Let me work with it. I'll till the ground, I'll work with it, I'll do what I got to do with the fig tree. And next year, if this fig tree doesn't produce fruit, then we can chop it down. Jesus says, okay. So what does that fig tree need? That fig tree is you. Iron sharpening iron is you. Why? Because when God wants a fig off your tree, he wants a fig. And if you don't change your behavior, if you don't act right towards each other, and you don't learn to follow the Spirit, you will never bear fruit. You never bear fruit. I mean, why would anybody want to fight you? You're always in the flesh. Why would anybody want to follow you? You're always arguing. Why would anybody want to follow you? You're always talking about people. Why would anybody? You, you see the picture? So God says, sharpen iron. Get the iron. Sharpen, 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 sharpen. Put, 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 put a person like that person around so they can sharpen each other. Why? Because I need them to be sharp because sharp tools are better when they're trying to prune the fig tree. Hmm. Let's read the open scripture. If your brother sins against you, you go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. At that moment, that's the only time God says, cut him loose. So before we, any of us can cut anybody loose, that's got to go a long way, don't you think? And I would dare say, at the first step, most of your problems will be solved. They'll never get past. They'll never get to the second step. If we just took the time to be led by the Spirit. And if you can take the time, Matt, look at the picture now. you got to really see it. If you take the time to be led by the Spirit in a situation like this, God has a call in your life and put you anywhere in the world. Guess what? God will know that. You know what? You will take the time to talk to me about different situations that you'll meet. So you're in training. How can you t listen to the Lord and His leading over demonic oppression, spiritual interventions, warring in the heavenly, when you, you, many fail to even listen to God about dealing with your brother and your sister? See, oh, it's much more than just having good behavior. God wants you to fulfill your calling. 
That's why he gave us the scripture. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Each conflict is an opportunity to improve yourself. Listen. It says listen means to heed or to obey. Our approach when we work with each other is to redeem. The injured must be redeemed, won over. And if they're won over, the Lord says we have gained. It doesn't say if you prove them wrong. When you win them over, we have gained. What? We've gained another brother. We've gained another sister. Perhaps we gained the pastor. We gained an evangelist. We gained a worker, a children's church teacher devoted to children. We gained an usher. We gained a cook. We gained. And thus, the church multiplied daily. As God is speaking to your heart, and as we've seen this song, the altar of the rope.